0: Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Mind Body Musings podcast, where we will be diving deep into relationships today. And this is going to be a theme that we cover over the course of the next, probably the next month, maybe even a little bit more, because it's a, it's just such a crucial aspect of life. Like, what is life all about? It's all about the human connection. Some people think it's all about success and money and, and lust and all of those things, which can be kind of great, but... Let's talk about love. Let's get dive. Let's dive deep into love and what makes a relationship work and what makes us thrive in our relationships. So today we're talking with Mark Groves who is a human connection specialist. He's an emotional translator, writer, speaker and coach. Through his work, Mark helps people understand their emotional matrix and how to master themselves and their words. His clients range from individuals and couples to businesses and leaders. He takes what you think you want, finds out what you really want, and gives you the tools to achieve those goals. Mark had always wondered what separated people with amazing relationships from those who were just average. Why did some relationships maintain bliss for a lifetime and others, not so much? Why did some people have the ability to lead thousands of people and others couldn't even lead themselves from what he has seen and experienced, how we connect to others will be the single greatest predictor of success in every aspect of our lives. So he set out to discover the secrets of those who thrive in love and life so he could become one himself. His research became his life and he lives everything he learns and writes about. Let me tell you, this podcast recording was a catalyst in my life. Sometimes I have episodes where I interview people and it's beautiful and it's great and it really serves the listeners and then there are some episodes that really serve me and this episode ended up becoming kind of like my own little personal coaching session where I was talking to Mark about the current relationship I was in and really he helped me to gain so much clarity and after this recording me and my partner at the time had a conversation and we ended up closing that relationship or expiring that relationship, but this episode was recorded before that, and it was really interesting. I bet it's going to be kind of fun for y'all to be able to listen to some of the things that we talked about in this episode, knowing the outcome of of that relationship that I was referring to. And um, it was just it's just fascinating, and what he says made so much sense to me. One of the things we talk about is the runner and the chaser in relationships, and how that manifests. Uh, the love that you have in relationships or the issues that you have in those relationships and why we even go to relationships in the first place so stay tuned for this episode you're gonna love it here is the review of the week this comes from ezzy joy she says best podcast i've ever listened to with five stars i'm pretty sure this podcast will be instrumental in helping me on the current healing journey i have begun The inner life and dialogue we have with ourselves, so important, and after years of negative self-talk, orthorexia, over-exercising, and preoccupation with self-image, I find this podcast to be a breath of fresh air and so inspiring. I've only been listening for a little while, but I've already learned so much stuff. I love that Maddie is down to earth, an excellent interviewer, and that she shares her faith unabashedly. Love, keep up the great work. Thank you, Ezzy, for listening to the show. You rock. I love you, and I'm grateful for you. Also, before we dive on in, let's give a warm, loving shout-out to the show's sponsor, and that for Sigmatic. For Sigmatic is a mushroom mix company that was founded by my friend, Taro, who I once had on the podcast, and I would love for you to listen to this episode, but he started out very young foraging for mushrooms, found that mushrooms have a wonderful amount of medicinal properties. Some will bring you clarity. Some will increase your libido. Some will give you energy. Some will give you focus. And he was like, hey, I really wish that this was conveniently able to be enjoyed by people all across the world. So he created Four Sigmatic, which is a mushroom mix company that makes different concoctions that you can easily blend with cold or warm. Beverages. So what I like to do is get one of the mushroom coffee mixes, which gives you that clarity and energy that you want from coffee, but no jitters. And I mix it with a little bit of Dandy Blend, which is Dandy Lion uh, Dandelion Blend, and a little bit of almond milk, and some cinnamon, and some coconut oil, and some stevia. And it's the most delicious drink ever. So there you go, a free recipe. If you want to try out. Uh, for Sigmatic, then you can go to their website and get 10% off by using the coupon code Maddie. Many people have discovered Four Sigmatic through my earlier episodes where I've mentioned them as well as my Instagram because I'm obsessed with them. And I'm really happy to say that Four Sigmatic is getting a lot more attention from different wellness avenues and outlets. It's just such an incredible company and I couldn't be more happy to put a shout out for uh, any kind of company. I'm, I'm so glad it's this one for sponsoring the show because they represent a lot of what I believe and their products are just filled with so much integrity. So check it out. I'll also have a link to that in the show notes for this episode. Last announcement, you can look at the Confidence Revival retreat by going to mattymoon.com confidence revival, where we will be increasing our confidence and our self-love and our femininity and letting go of our life of perfectionism. I've mentioned that in so many episodes so you already know what to do you know where to check that out there will be a link to that that retreat that I will be hosting in May on the show notes so you can check that out there as well it's going to be a small intimate gathering and so whoever comes will be getting so much one-on-one attention with each and every soul sister that attends so I can't wait to create those bonds and I hope to see you there okay without further ado let's go head on over and listen to this juicy episode that I did with Mark Groves
1: Maddie. Maddie Moon and her inspirational guests every Wednesday for the life-altering discussions on freedom, vulnerability, abundance, and so much more. For more insight, grab your free gift on MaddieMoon.com and uncover your own once-in-a-lifetime greatness within. If you have kind words to say, feel free to leave a review on the show in iTunes or send your favorite episode to a friend. We look forward to hearing your insights and growing together in unexpected ways. And now, without further ado, here's your host. Moon.
0: Hello, my friends, and welcome back to this show for episode 145 with Mark Groves, who I have been following like a crazy amount. All the stuff he puts out on his Instagram and his website, every post is gold. There are people out there that I really resonate with their work and the way that they can very eloquently describe the ongoings of all of our lives in some crazy way and with relationships mark is excellent at this i just i feel like you have a a very strong gift for being able to share what you've gone through in your life in a way that's very relatable to other people who have gone through relationships in their lives but also provide a lot of insight and help on what you can do about it so without further ado welcome to the show mark
2: Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate uh, all the kind words. You've set a high standard of expectation of people go to my Instagram now, so hopefully I live up to that.
0: Oh, absolutely. It will, for sure. I wouldn't say it if I didn't really mean it. So the first thing we do on this show is dive into a little bit about how you got to where you are today, and specifically for you, since we're talking about relationships talking about some of the relationships that have led you up to your point of views on relationships today and, and creating this wonderful business that you have now.
2: Yeah. Like what led me to it? My gosh. Um, You know, I, I I think like most people who go into maybe these types of field of work, mine was so much to seek the understanding myself. You know, it was like I had a sort of what the F moment. I don't know if I can swear. I had a sort of like a what the F moment and when I was actually just got out of an engagement and that was sort of like this moment when I went wow I really want to understand relationships how did I get here like how did I get to this space where I was engaged to a really great woman but I really didn't necessarily want to have gotten engaged but I did you know so it's I was in this spot where I woke up in this situation and I thought I really want to understand the science of relationships and why they work and why they don't and how can someone go down a path that maybe isn't exactly what they wanted?
0: Mm-hmm. And when you say science, what did that look like? Did you like research <clears throat> actual science behind this?
2: Yeah, oh my gosh. My mind then was much more linear, so I really wanted to understand, like, what was the evidence and what were the qualities? And, you know, I, so I read most of the studies that were in that area. I watched classes that were, you know, because the university was sort of like getting online at that time. So um, I'd done my undergrad in finance and business. So I had this understanding of like business communication and sales. And I was a really good salesperson. Communication came very naturally to me. But I really wondered, like, how did I be so good? And how could I be so good in communicating anything but my feelings? You know, so then I realized it wasn't a skill problem. There was something else going on there. And the science of it was sort of the gateway for me because I wanted to understand it in a non-emotional way. Do you know what I mean? Like where it wasn't, I could just say, well, no one taught me this stuff.
0: Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. That's a great way to look at it. So with this woman that you are engaged to, can you possibly, I'm sure after spending so much time studying it, can you pinpoint what it was that was the disconnect? What was it that kept you up? Because I remember one of your posts, you said that you were kept up at night wondering You know, if she was the one basically that you should be engaged to, what was it in your heart besides just a feeling that it wasn't right? Was there anything that's very specific? It's like this and this were off on us, or was it really just intuition?
2: Yeah, there wasn't like, because by design, she is an amazing woman. So it was, there. I was, you know, at least I was blessed to have an easy, you know, if I was going to choose someone, she was a very easy choice to make. And so that's what even made it more difficult is I had this really fabulous woman in front of me and I still didn't want her, you know, as a lifelong partner. And that's where I really wanted to understand it because I got to this moment where it should have been easy. Like it's. Sh- it should have been, this makes all the sense. Like, I've checked all the boxes. I'm 27. I've got a job that pays a certain amount. I can take care of a family. I've got a white picket fence and a hot tub. You know, like, I had all of the things I was taught to want. And when I was in that situation, I went, but I, But this isn't, I should be more excited than this. And that's where I went, holy shit. Like, how does someone get to this space? And when I look back, like, we were together five years and I look back and I had these feelings of I'm not sure about this relationship and and I know that all relationships do have their moments of you know separation doubt ebbs and flows but this was more like a I want to be doing something else this isn't the right path for me and I still stayed though and I look obviously hindsight is a much better analysis of this when I was in it I was confused. When I was in it, I was trying to justify the feelings as I'm just afraid of commitment like every guy. You know, that was another thing I was taught. And that was a hard thing to battle against because really what was going on is I wasn't even trusting my own feelings. I was trusting what people told me about my feelings.
0: When you finally decided to trust your feelings and trust that this wasn't right, did you? lead that up to consulting a lot of people and like asking other people's opinions because in my previous relationship, I was with him for a year and a half and that's actually my longest relationship.
1: And mm-hmm.
0: whenever I was getting to this point, I mean, honestly, I really wish that I had, um, I didn't realize at the time. I don't even know if I was following you at the time. I don't think so, but you have a service of like stay or go.
2: <laughs> or, yeah.
0: And I think that's great. And i I so badly wish I had seen that. At that time, because you help people decide if, if they should stay or go, like if it if it's right or not, maybe right. Uh-huh. And um, I was asking so many people their insights and their opinions and like, I don't know if I'm doing the right thing or the wrong thing, if I'm not fighting enough, like I could list off like 50 things that were wrong and that weren't working well, but yet I kept saying, but I should stay. um
2: Yeah. Isn't that fascinating?
0: So fascinating. And it's like, why, why do we do that? Could you explain that aspect? Is it just the fear of starting over?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think there's so many fears that come into play there. One is uncertainty because if you let go of that, we've already been taught that, well, you know, that you find the one and you make it work. Well, I don't believe that there's just one because if, if we are going to embrace the belief system that there's only one soulmate or one twin flame, We've already created a dating pool of scarcity. So if you go on a date with someone and you feel connection, well, you're like, even subconsciously, that's the more important part here. The drive is, well, they're the one. Like, I have this feeling that they're the one. Well, what happens if they don't want what you want? Well, it doesn't matter. They're the one. I'll make it work. And so we operate from a place of scarcity. But, you know, imagine if we went to this other place of like, I'm uncertain how it's all going to work. I just know that this feeling is true, that this... You know, like what you were saying, there's 50 things that were wrong with the relationship, but yet you're staying to fight for it. You know, because in there, there's probably many subconscious messages you've been taught. Women need to fight for relationships, right? Like, even the idea that um, relationships mean you are a more successful human being because you're in a relationship. Like our relationship status is how we judge people very often. And even within a relationship status judgment, we, we judge and have a hierarchy as to the type of status. So people who are engaged are better than people who are dating and people who are married are better than people who are engaged. People who have 25-year anniversaries are better than people who have five-year anniversaries. Like we have this hierarchy, and I'm not saying this is always true, but this is often how it works. And we don't celebrate quality of relationships. We celebrate length. We celebrate status. We don't, you know, and so there's so many driving forces that go behind. That's why we can be in these situations and we go, I feel crazy. Like, I feel crazy because this relationship doesn't make sense. And if you add even more to that, it's also that often we'll have a the person that we're with will usually be a form of relationship pattern that we've experienced that is probably due to what we experienced as kids like we might be trying to date someone who's not available because our father or mother were always working or they were an alcoholic or so we're naturally drawn to try to heal in relationship we try to find someone who gives us the same feeling of not being chosen of not being intended to and forever we're trying to chase people like that in order to finally choose us I hope that makes sense because I just went on a one-minute rant.
0: No, it perfect. Mills. That was awesome. I love that you pointed out that we celebrate length rather than quality because I hadn't I hadn't thought about that, and that is very true when I think about it. That's all people ever really talk about. Um, but w- talking about this last thing you just spoke of, I want to make sure I, I get in a little deeper here because I have a question. What if, what if <coughs> there is someone that is like what you just said is – father was absent or no one was ever at home maybe they were abandoned or abused this person's a grown-up this person wants a relationship and what if um, this they they what did you say that they they typically look for relationships where the other person is not available or would they look for someone that is available
2: yeah so the what happens is is the we could call it the soul the subconscious its doesn't really matter what we call it we'll just we need to give it something that gives people a context that's a safe word so if it's soul or, or subconscious one scientific one's more existential so what it really looks to do what we look to do is heal so our pains happen in relationship that's where our wounds occur and so they get healed in relationship and so what will generally happen in science it would be referred to as attachment theory it's how we attach to our primary caregivers And so that science is based on observing toddlers attaching to their mom. And what it shows is that, and I'll just make it more simple language so people understand it, is usually in relationship we'll either take the role of pursuer or runner or distancer. So we're always chasing people's love or we're always running from. And so what I mean by that, we'll like know the typical type of personality that we are. Most people listening are probably like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know which one I am. Sometimes we'll take the opposite one after we've been really hurt. We'll go to the opposite end of the spectrum, but we'll generally operate as one of those. Mm -hmm. And what it happens is, so if we were to take like the pursuer, that would be someone whose maybe parent was not around or parent was absent and parent was an alcoholic. It doesn't really you know, it can come from many different ways. It's more just to pay attention of how you attach to people. So in attachment theory, they'd call that anxious attachment. So we never really know where we fit. We're not really sure. We don't believe people love us as much as we love them, and that that comes because the attachment system is is really like a radar, and it's constantly surveying for the safety and security of a relationship. So if we didn't have a lot of safety and security, then it will will be always trying to look for signs of that there is instability, and also trying to constantly reinforce stability. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, keep going. And so the runner, the opposite, might come from, like, if our parents were really controlling, if we came from a culture or a society or religious background that was really over the top. Because we're so used to being inundated with rules and smothering and all this stuff that – or we've been hurt, and avoidance can also show up, that distancing can also show up from, like, abuse. Um, and so what will happen is sort of the underlying narrative or story that we live by is when people love me, they hurt me. I, and I hope that makes sense for people. And, and so runners tend to have had smothering people or people who could have potentially been physically, emotionally abusive, and pursuers tend, although those things can be there, They just tend to be more anxious about their attachments. Does that make sense?
1: Perfect
0: sense. Yes. So say you have like a mix matched. What happens then if you have someone that's... That's both? Well, no. So, Like one person in the relationship is a runner and one is a chaser.
2: Oh, they always are. You know, like always is an absolute term. People don't like that one. So they often are because both confirm each other's view of the world. So a pursuer will go after a runner because they don't believe anyone's ever available and no one ever chooses them. So they don't have to change their underlying belief. Does that make sense? So even a runner, people are always over my ass. They, you know, they want to like, they're on top of me. They want too much. The just dating someone who's a pursuer confirms that view of the world. And so what people need to understand is how you attach as a kid is related to how you attach as an adult, but they're not fixed. Like you can learn how to create a secure relationship. And even if you go between the two, like you are always chasing people, but as soon as they start to love you, you run. Right? So that would be like an anxious avoidant attachment. That's, that's totally a normal thing too that can happen to people. So when they date each other, the solution for someone who's anxious, because there are people who have secure relationships who don't go through these things. And it's the underlying definition of that. And the way that we can know if that is something that we are, that we do is secure relationships are defined by, um, the saying that my partner's well-being matters as much as my own. So there's sort of this prioritization of creating safety and security. So I when I'm working with people, I'm always telling them to like check in. How do I create safety and security in this moment so that I can feel vulnerable and open up? For an anxious person who's a pursuer, that can be challenging if you're dating someone who's a runner. Because intimacy usually scares runners. Now, if you date someone who's secure, you can learn security. You can learn that people can show up for you and they can help you with your emotional needs. And you can learn to feel safe what happens is our fight or flight system is always triggered when we're always worried about how we're relating to other people. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. 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 Okay. So my next question, this just keeps leading one to the other. Um, Yeah. So say it is a runner and you're a a pursuer, a chaser, and you, you, you are, you are able to provide this person with comfort and love and intimacy and they, they stop running because they, Mm. they realize they're safe or that you're not going or vice versa. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So How do you get to that point though? Like what, what does the pursuer need to not need, but what can the pursuer do for this person they love without scaring them or without, um, getting offended that maybe they're not receiving the same amount of love and safety Uh. back? Well, how do they still get their needs
2: like, right.
1: Loved
0: and how do
2: feel... we still all, how does everyone feel loved at the end of the day when all this stuff is mishmashed together? Yeah. So, um, the first part is, is that when someone who is that pursuer has a partnership with someone who's a runner, naturally your wounds are both getting triggered just by the dynamic of how you relate. So, for someone who is a runner, when an anxious person says, I need to know this and here's my emotions and here's what's going on for me, Often, a, someone who's that partner can say, "Okay, I hear you, and here I am, and here I thanks for sharing your feelings." But then there's sort of like a post feeling hangover, you know, where they want to distance themselves just because they felt vulnerable. And what needs to be learned is that when, like, you can you could say to your partner, "Hey, I just need a couple hours to process something," you know, and that's okay. But the part for the pursuer is that. That distance, that like separation causes a lot of anxiety. So the work is to learn that you can allow people space and they'll come back. Well, it's easy for me to say they'll come back because sometimes they don't, right? That's usually what the answer I get from someone who's in that situation. But the work of the runner, of the person who distances themselves, is to say, I do need this space, but I will revisit this and come back when I feel safe and ready. Does that make sense? So when someone asks for a space, so this isn't just with runners and pursuers. This is just human dynamics. So in a conflict, sometimes people get overwhelmed. We'd call it emotional flooding. And we all know what that feeling is like. It's when our chest gets like in, inundated, with, our heart rate goes up, our hands sweat. It's the fight or flight, right? Which means we're about to or we're sensing danger. And in a psychological sense, it's really that we're scared of being emotionally wounded in this sense. So... Because our body doesn't know the difference between a tiger and a conflicting situation where we might experience rejection. This is why when we're in relationships with a high level of conflict, our bodies actually have quite a toll on them. Because we're not getting as much blood flow to our gut, because digestion is not as important when you're in conflict. You know, those types of things happen, so in conflict, a lot of times people do need space to process. They do need to learn how to observe their emotion and what their responses are. So the best thing we can ever do in a relationship is learn our own emotional matrix. Learn why we do what we do. Why do I respond defensively? Why do I withdraw? But the, the other part is is when we ask for space is to be able to return. So if you ask your partner, I just need a couple hours or I need five hours or whatever it is. It's actually on you to be the person that revisits because you're building trust. Like when I need space, I'm going to give it to you, but I'm going to, you have to be the one who returns and builds that trust. Does that make sense?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Okay. This is, that way this is we begin to like the pursuer has to take a step back, but what starts to happen is the belief starts to shift. When I let people have space, they come back.
0: What okay? What if? What, what if? If, what if? The there's no conflict. What if like the lifestyle is just for one person? It's just a lifestyle of distance, like always. Like there's no conflict. It's just there's not a need for much communication not for that person. They don't really care for a whole bunch. Like what if that's the case? And then what
2: like if, what happens if you're just dating someone who's distant in general? Yeah. 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 Well, that might not be your relationship style. So if you're okay being with someone who doesn't like to communicate a lot and is inherently holds their romantic relationships are not generally a priority, then and they are for you, then you're just not a good match. You know, I would argue that most people who are in that space where romantic relationships are not a priority for them and that they don't enjoy communicating or anything like that, I would argue that they're probably a runner, that there's a form of distance and wall that they create with people who they can be vulnerable and intimate with. Is that always going to be true? No, but most of the time.
0: Okay. Got it. That makes that make sense. perfect sense. Yeah. Uh,
2: we have to, you know, like to me, like relationships are about growth. You know, we have to both as partners know that we're going to change and Grow Over time, like who you're in love with at 21, even if it's the same person at 40 is going to be a very different person. And so that's why relationships require this constant ebbing and flowing and checking in with each other, because you're always getting to know a new person. That's what keeps them unique. They might physically be similar. But over time, they are emotionally going to grow and expand and have new interests and new desires and maybe new funky, freaky desires in the bedroom. So you never know.
1: (laughs)
0: Yeah, totally. Okay. Um, so this question just popped in my head and this comes more from like a sexual standpoint,
2: mm-hmm. but
0: I have this friend and like, literally it's a friend. It's not like me, <laughs> but, um, <I>
2: was <laughs> it's happy... not me. It's my friend.
0: <laughs> really... okay. In this case it is, or I would say it's me, but we were talking yesterday actually, and we we're talking about hormones and like fluctuations of hormones and desires and <laughs> needs and blah, blah. And she was telling me that she's, she's married and she, it, she, you know, loves her husband dearly, but she's not that sexually attracted. And she told him, honestly, sometimes I like can think about ex-partners from like my younger years and I get like really turned on by it. But I don't know why I'm not with you. And whenever I told, when she told Oof. me that, I was just like, whoa, that's, like, that's a lot. That's a lot to, to tell another person. and That's a lot to realize. And he apparently handled it really well. He just said like, Oh, I wonder why that is like, tell me more. Like, what can I do? And communicated very sweetly with her, which I thought was wow. <laughs> very open yeah. and great. Cause if I was told that, you know, as a, a woman, like I can't, I'm not attracted to you, but I'm attracted to my other female partners in the past. Uh, yeah, I probably freak out. <laughs> so yeah, it's
2: a lot of information <laughs> to receive.
0: <laughs> do you have any thoughts on that? Like anything at all? Like what?
2: Yeah. Um, I mean, I think the first part is, is I think attraction within relationship can go up and down and with hormones can go in and out, which sounds like a pun on what we're talking about, but in that it can fluctuate. I think the other thing too is that intimacy leads to a lot of closeness. So often people who are afraid of their relationships going deeper and getting more intimate um, will use resistance to sex as a way of protecting and not allowing the relationship to get deeper if that makes sense. Um, especially because for men, physical touch is often one of their primary love languages. Not to say that it isn't for women, but it just is often more for for men. And it's also the way that they generally feel desired, needed, appreciated within the relationship. That there's a lot of um, intimacy that is, it's the gateway to that they feel loved and appreciated through physical touch. Um, so I think to also say that You've had desire for exes, which is beautifully honest, and I can honor that, it is also a way of creating distance with your partner, you know, because you know it's going to create distance with your partner. Because uh, there's many ways to say that that wouldn't be as um, hurtful, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You know, to say like, hey, you know, I'm not feeling as much desire as I have in the past, and I'm just wondering how we build a deeper connection. You know, how maybe we can explore some stuff. Maybe we could take a tantra class together. Maybe we can, you know, go down on each other five times this week. You know, like you got to still step towards that level of curiosity and say, like, what's a fantasy I have? Let's act it out. Let's see how it goes. You know, I think those types of things are important.
0: Yeah, that's amazing advice. That's great. I will have to point her in the direction of this podcast (laughs) afterwards.
2: (laughs) She's like that was bad, but don't say that.
0: <laughs> don't tell anyone that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um. All right. So emotionally speaking, then we we kind of touched on this, but I want to talk about specifically with with me something that I do and get your take on it. Um. Whenever there's like an argument, and it could be something stupid and small, uh. And like, or say like, okay, let me change this up a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. Let's say that my partner can like because he's done this before he gets like really quiet and he can get mm-hmm. like really quiet yeah. and kind of like we can go from being joyful and playful and then it's just like nothing like quiet no emotion no talking no nothing and then for me i i very much read off of people's emotions so i can get like what's wrong like are you okay like with the the 16 personalities i'm the protagonist which means i uh like really want everyone to be excited and enthusiastic and like we all mm-hmm. like know the best is the best of our lives and like all this And it made a lot of sense. It also told me with my personality that I want, I at least want someone to to confirm everything's good, everything's okay, even if they're, you know, quiet or shut off. And so when I don't receive that to know that everything is good, everything is okay, I can get a little concerned. And then if it lasts too long, then I get frustrated. And so Uh I can get frustrated. And then he realizes I'm frustrated. And then he'll be like, it's okay, don't worry. And then I'll like, hold me, but it's in my mind, it's like too late where I met the point now where I'm like, why didn't you do that an hour ago or, or two hours ago? And then I close off. I can get, mm-hmm. I can get closed off. And right now my, my phrase of life is remain deeply available to love. And I'm trying to like remain <laughs> open. <laughs> let this person be them. If he gets quiet, that's cool. I shouldn't be, let that completely change me and then get mad. And, um, I don't know if that's the best approach. Like, I don't know if that's like me, like stop Madeline being yourself, like change. I don't know. All this is so confusing, but basically I'm wondering like, how do you remain open when the person's not communicating or maybe acting the way you want them to act?
2: Well, I think being able to ask someone, you know, like if you asked your partner, Hey, when you get quiet, you know, what is it that you're ultimate? Like, is that a response to something? Does he feel hurt? And that's why he gets quiet. No, you know, is that, is that, is it usually in those scenarios uh-huh. that no, that no, no. happens? It's, no, it's, like he just is more quiet than you are.
0: Yeah. In certain moments, like he's tired, like maybe he gets tired and it's just like, boom, done.
2: And then when you're not getting the affirmation that you seek, you know, because really your radar is on yeah. and you're going, oh, wait, like I feel now because he's gone quiet. So I would look at where in your life did quiet mean disruption like to when your parents argued did one of them go quiet and go to a room and hide or did you know you got to look at those patterns of learned what silence means for you Mm. because there's probably something related to silence that makes you feel anxious and and so then beyond that is saying to him once you understand that like hey i know that when my parents did this or when my parents yelled at me or whatever it was or my brother and sister that you're able to say When you go quiet, it might not make sense. But for me, that triggers an old thing. I don't even maybe know what that thing is. But I know that it makes me feel like I'm not sure that I'm loved and that this relationship is safe. I don't know if that even makes sense, but it doesn't have to, right? Like, our emotions aren't rational all the time. They're often not rational. So to be able to say that to him in that way and to say, so if you ever notice me, like, because then your response is to get quiet. Mm -hmm. but really your response of getting quiet is what we would call withdrawing or stonewalling, which is your response is really because you aren't feeling like an emotional need is being met, which is I want to be connected to, I want to feel safe. I want to feel loved, you know, all those sorts of things I'm guessing. Is that fair? Yeah. So what's happening there is instead of communicating what your emotional need is, which is connection, love, understanding, you're actually withdrawing in order for him to come towards instead of just asking for what you actually need, which is, hey, right now I really need you to hold me and tell me you love me, mm. which is really what you want. But instead, you wait. You pull away. He comes towards you because he sees you're quiet because you're not often quiet. I'm guessing I don't. <laughs> that was like, you talk a lot. I'm probably <laughs> just projecting on myself here. But the, So then he comes towards you to talk about it. And then you get the love and connection that you wanted. But then when you get it, it's too little, too late. And you feel rejected. And so you have to see that the very fear you have, which is, you know, rejection or not feeling love, but I'm guessing it's in that rejection, is created just by the way you respond. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you it's- fear rejection. So you do this thing where you withdraw, which ultimately you reject him. And he comes towards you. And then you reject him. And then you feel disconnection. So everything you really seek, which is connection and love and communication and to be open, you actually close down to get. So you're actually being rewarded for the behavior you have. And so what we need to learn, which all of us do this stuff. So this isn't just you and this is a unique human experience that's never happened before. All of us do this where we have these learned emotional responses that we usually picked up from our parents or caregivers that had an influence on us. And so if, as a kid, we used to go to our room, or we used to withdraw and get quiet, those are all just ways of getting our emotional need met. So, you know, under a good way to realize it or to, to recognize it is to think under any frustration, anger, or emotional response is an unmet emotional need. Connection, understanding, being a priority, being loved, being safe, it's usually those. Being heard. And so you can see that just the way that cascade plays out for you, you're seeking the very thing that you can ask for from the start.
0: Wow. Thank you. Does that make sense? (laughs) Thank you, Therapist Mark.
2: (laughs) Yeah, no worries. So that's that's really what all of us do is we have these learned responses that are protecting us from being hurt, but they inevitably cause us Mm -hmm. to be hurt.
0: Jeez, yeah. Wow. And I'm so,
2: yeah, I mean, like a real simple way to understand that is imagine like so we're texting and we're just learning to get to know someone and we're afraid of being rejected. They haven't texted us back. And so we text them a couple times. Well, we've now just because we fear being rejected, we've reached out to them a couple times, maybe too many. And the doubt they're like, whoa, what's going on here? And so we create the very rejection that we're fearing.
0: So, in this case, like in a texting case, then. Yeah. What if, so, hmm. So, what do you do? Like, what, you just wait? I mean.
2: <laughs> well, you got to think of, like, most of our behavior comes from the belief that we're not lovable. Mm-hmm. You know, I would argue that even not feeling like, if we fear rejection, abandonment, um, or not being enough, those all really come down to the same underlying belief that I'm not lovable. Because if you get rejected, it's because you're not worth picking. If you get abandoned, it's because you weren't worth keeping. That's the underlying belief. So it really comes down to a sense of worthiness. You know, Brene Brown talks about worthiness a lot. And so our underlying human, shared human shame is I'm not enough. I'm not lovable. So if we're texting with someone and they're not replying to us, if you ask yourself if I was enough with this matter right now, Most of the time it wouldn't. But because we're in this anxious state of, well, I don't want them to reject me, we engage far more than someone who, like, you know, when you meet someone who is totally just cool and they don't even care and they just like reply to you when they're ready, it has this air of confidence, right? Like then we're like, oh, wow, like it doesn't even affect them that I haven't talked to them or they text you every morning and they don't even think about how you text me six times and I text you five because they don't care because they're securely attached. They have a high level of self-worth. And so most of the time when people teach like pickup artists or they teach like how to get the guy and they have like texting ideas, they're really just teaching you how to. Behave like someone who has a high level of self-worth. And although that can work, eventually you're going to be the person you are anyways. So my idea is more learn how to be someone who has a high level of self-worth. And then the texting is just the byproduct.
0: Right. Oh, beautiful. That's absolute gold right there. I love that. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to have to think about these things because when you were talking about um, – when you're talking about like family and stuff as well, I was going back into my own past and thinking, okay, what does quiet mean to me? Mm
1: -hmm.
0: What I came up with is that first off, I was very depressed when I was in high school. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know how many times I talk about this on, on the podcast, but yeah, I was pretty depressed in high school. And when I was in quiet, like when it was finally quiet around me, that's, this is one part. When it was quiet, I was like, typically in my own head, sad, listening to sappy music. Like it was just like, not,
2: Mm.
0: it was not good. I was writing like sad, depressing poetry and overthinking overcomplicating everything about my life. That's one part. And the other part is that I didn't get any quiet. My quiet wasn't respected in my family. Like I was kind of, I feel like I was treated a lot like, how do I say this property? I guess in one way where like, I don't deserve my own space and my peace and quiet. Like uh-huh. my parents had the the opportunity to take it away anytime they wanted. So if we were in an argument or anything, I wasn't allowed to ever walk away and have my own space to recover. They would like come into my room and they would talk to me and then they would like walk out, come back in, come back in. Like I was never alone to just think. And I just so badly wanted to be by myself for an hour just to be alone. Um, so those are kind of like some things I'm playing around with thinking about what that could be so maybe now I'm kind of either repeating behaviors of my family of like no quiet let's keep talking or I'm associating some of the quietness with like sadness or, or something like that looking into it subconsciously maybe
2: one of those. Yeah I mean it could be either of those I love what you said though that we're like look how you inherited like you inherited relationships to silence those weren't yours when you were born you didn't have them Some people might argue about the epigenetics of them, that they come in your junk DNA. But like, let's look at that. When you actually learn now that you're looking at what silence means to you, you now have the awareness of how it shows up in your life. So already you're changing your relationship to your emotions because now you're not seeing them as I get really anxious. I am anxious because of this. You're going, I feel anxious. Why? Let's get curious. As opposed to responding from the anxiety, it's a lot like you were talking about the word depressed. depressed. You know, when we feel negative emotion, are generally our response is to take a pill, drink, have sex, fall, you know, like seek things that escape the feeling. And what I really teach people is. Feelings are neither bad nor good. You know, they feel bad, right? Like bad feelings feel bad, negative feelings feel bad, but they're really information for us to understand what we need to change, how we need to adapt our life or move towards or away from things. I think it's quite crazy that we will do things to stay in the same environment that hurts as opposed to we'll numb ourselves so that we don't feel as much instead of change the environment so we feel better feelings. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And so like your relationship to silence, one is, you know, perhaps that when it does get quiet, there could be a fear that your thoughts will go to where they've been before and that you'll write awesome poetry. (laughs) And then there might be another one that now you've inherited your parents' pattern of silence isn't okay, so it caused you this anxiety and now you're doing the same thing. Does that make sense? Yeah. And it, the thing is, is that it doesn't have to be either one of those. Like we can find the why and those are likely a couple of the whys. Right. And this is the thing that becomes a human condition is whether we're talking about relationships or following our dreams or our relationship to our body, to food. It doesn't matter what makes us binge eat or what makes us have a poor relationship to our bodies. We can understand the why, and I think as a human condition we seek the why, because the why gets us to say, well, this is why this happened. It's not my fault. And so we get to, in one essence, be the victim of our circumstances, which is true, and that's fair, that abuse when we're a child could have led to something or this family, family dynamic could have led to another thing or whatever. And all those things are very real and very true, but we can get caught in the why. Where we stay, 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 I'm going to read another book, I'm going to go to another seminar. And really true change happens when we take responsibility. And this is the paradox that's really hard to live in. I'm writing an article on this right now because to me it's so fascinating that when we figure out the why, we become the victim, which is really healthy from an emotional standpoint i don't mean it's good to be a victim that's totally different but it's good to understand that we're the product of the environment that we've been raised in or whatever whatever the circumstance is but the hard part that is required for change is now i have to take responsibility for that which is really hard because then i go well you know like when i was young i had a girlfriend cheat on me it broke my heart And because of that heartbreak, and because of what she did to me, right, the language, because of what she did to me, I then withdrew my heart, and I became promiscuous, and I pursued short-term love. Well, yeah, that's what happened, and those are all facts. But I chose to respond that way to my heartbreak. And I can blame her for that, or I can thank her, because she taught me that I didn't have great boundaries. She taught me that I actually do really crave deep, intimate, loving relationships. And so I have to take responsibility for the choices I've made in response to that, which is hard because who likes to look back and go, I've done some stuff that hurts. I've hurt some people, those are all really hard things to acknowledge, but it's so required because the moment you acknowledge those things and you take responsibility, you change your life because then you've just had the birth of choice. You've just realized that even though I chose all those things, which some of them hurt a lot, I will not, moving forward, make choices that do not contribute to my growth, my well-being, my emotional health. Does that make sense?
0: Yes. Oh, it's so good. the The responsibility aspect reminds me a lot of Mark Manson's book, The Subtle Art I'm not getting oh, of Not Giving a. Oh yeah. Talk about this like all the time. I can't ever not talk about this book. But he has that same example. It's a great book. He talks about how he got cheated on, and he didn't want to take responsibility because he thought that meant it also. It also meant that you took the blame. And the fault. And then he realized that just because you take responsibility moving forward doesn't mean you are at fault. And that really helped him as well. And I think think it's great that people, if only people could have these relationships and when they do come to an end, when they come to closure you're able to not see it as a waste of time because there's so much in that oh, in there man, that
2: so you can much. learn
0: from. And, and people just stick to waste of time, pointless. Why did I do that to myself? And they totally bypass all of the growth that, that has potential to occur if you just look at, what happened? What went wrong there? Or why were you attracted to this person or who were you becoming in this relationship? Like what was it that drew you into it and where were you not getting your needs met? If you just look at those things that prepares you for the next one and it just prepares you for growing more into yourself.
2: Yeah. Well, I think the part that we get so caught in is if you stay in the, this happens to me, Instead of this happened for me, that's such an easy shift. If you just make that shift of word, you then look for the gifts and the experience. Now, why most people stay in the I got divorced, he cheated on me, she cheated on me, he did this, she did that, is because they don't ever have to engage in change. Nothing's their responsibility. And so that's why we will continue to date the same types of people or have the same relationship patterns Because we're still rewarded for them in a way. Even feelings that are painful are familiar. And that's like we talked before earlier in the podcast about this, that it requires this step towards uncertainty. It requires this, like, if you already know how everything plays out, there are already moments you've already lived. Like, you're not growing, you're not expanding, you're not trying new things. And love is never this thing that's always familiar, like there's gonna be familiar parts and safe, amazing parts to it. But there always needs to be this new area that we haven't been to. That's why when you understand your emotions, you will get deeper and past conversations that you've always repeated. You know, so if you think of it like a graph and the line of your capabilities is at a certain level, once you build more skills and more depth, you can get deeper with the relationship. And that's where true, that's why relationships are so great because they're this mirror to our bullshit. Mm -hmm. You know, they're this mirror to say, you actually don't know how to turn conflict into intimacy yet because we have the same conversations over and over and over again. And that's because the same wounds are getting perpetuated. And that's why your partners that you choose are the perfect match to your wounds and you're the perfect match to theirs because you're a beautiful invitation for each other to heal. They might not always be the one you heal with but there has to be a willingness to heal. You know, if we can both just admit that we don't have it figured out, then we've now just given birth to always being a student, which is beautiful. Like, I study relationships. I love relationships. I love communication. I love learning about them. And I still don't know much. (laughs) You know, like, Mm -hmm. I still don't because when I face my partner and her and I have conversations that are hard, I am always meeting parts of myself that haven't figured it out.
0: Yeah. Oh yes, yeah, 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 yeah. And I and by the way, your partner is lovely. She is amazing. I follow her stuff. I don't know her obviously, but (laughs) she seems really great and both of y'all together, like I can just tell that of course, like what you just said, y'all are learning, but from what I see on the other side, it it does appear to be just a very loving, open, caring relationship, vulnerable. So thank you for everything. Thank you for all of this insight and all this information and diving deep and getting super personal with me so that I can.
2: (laughs) I can't wait to hear how it goes. Yeah. Well, I think to know that we all have issues, you know, and really they're just invitations to grow, you know, from that perspective. And thanks for having me on here. I always love these types of conversations. So I really appreciate the opportunity to learn. I learn more about myself, too. And so thank you.
0: Of course. So we have a few quick fire round questions, but before we head on over, where can people connect with you online?
2: So they can find me on Instagram at create the love. Um, and the concept of that being that we're in charge of creating the love that we want. Um, and then on my Twitter, same thing, create the love on our Facebook, just Mark Groves. It's easy to find me. And then on my website is markgroves.tv like television. On YouTube, uh, you can just look up my name and you'll find it.
0: Perfect. And I will have all of those links on the show notes to this episode. And here is the quick fire round. Yeah. Okay. Sweet. What are three words to describe you?
2: Um, hmm. Funny, curious, nerdy.
0: If you could live anywhere in the world besides where you currently live, where would it be?
2: Oh, I'm so drawn right now to Manzanita, Oregon, the coast. Hmm. Don't move there because I want to move there.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's going to be the next place everyone floods into.
2: Oh, it's so beautiful.
0: What did you eat for breakfast?
2: Uh, I had a breakfast sandwich.
0: What's your morning routine like?
2: So I usually meditate for 10 minutes. I've been using Headspace, by the way. love that app. Um, And I make a, I call it a super coffee, and it's got cashews, cacao, maca, and MCT oil in it. I love that, so coffee. Um, I usually have coffee with my partner in the morning, so it's a good way for us to connect. Um, And then, you know, I think like everybody else, I try to get a workout in in the morning. If I don't do it in the morning, it's usually the afternoon. Those that's really important to me. So those routines. Coffee is important to me.
0: <laughs> um, what is the biggest quality turn on in a partner? Kindness. It's a good one. Who are three people you'd invite to the perfect dinner party, dead or alive? You can know them, you cannot know them, whoever.
2: Hmm. Alan Watts. Um, Tony Robbins. I like, I want to, I want to have dinner with him. He probably eats a lot though. He's a giant human. Um, third, probably Oprah.
0: Good, good dinner party. Um, what's your favorite meal right now?
2: (laughs) Avocado toast is so typical, right? (laughs) Like avocado toast.
0: When I came back from Asia last year, I missed avocado toast so much. I had it twice a day, like four pieces total a day, for two weeks, nonstop. It's
2: so good. good. It's so good, and it doesn't even get old for me.
0: I know. Every time I eat it, it's like a new experience. (laughs) It sounds so cheesy.
2: Right? No, it doesn't get old. It's not like some things. When you eat them over time, you get bored. Not this.
0: I eat it with like... So I do, I know everyone has like their own weird way, but I do the avocado and then I put on chickpeas or garbanzo beans on top with sea salt and it's so good.
2: Oh my God. I'm going to have to try this.
0: It's weird because it's like, there's like beans on top of there, but I saw someone once do like a white bean mash and I was like, that's cool. I've got garbanzo beans and I did that
2: (laughs) (laughs) and it ended up being
0: perfect. It was so good.
2: I'm going to have to try it sometime.
0: Okay. If love tasted like a flavor, what would it be?
2: Chocolate. it's a good one. was easy.
0: Last two questions. What's one must-read book for my listeners?
2: Attached is a really great book. That's the one that goes through Pursuer Runner. It's a great book.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, I think long ago someone told me about this book. I'm going to have to check that out. I think I'd like it.
2: Yeah, it's really good. It's a good overview of how you attach. And then if you want to go even deeper, there's a book called Getting the Love You Want. From um, Harville Hendricks. Cool. Great book.
0: I will have the links to those in the show notes. Okay. And last question Who would you cast to play the role of you in a movie?
2: <laughs> I mean, Ryan Reynolds. Who wouldn't want that? I'll be. Chicks would go to watch him. I wouldn't even. And then maybe they'd get some different content.
0: <laughs> I love Ryan Reynolds. Good choice.
2: <laughs> Every chick loves Ryan Reynolds. Isn't it true? But like, and he's he like got. a dad now, too. So he's winning in every yep. attraction category. Yeah,
0: true. Well, Ryan, I, Ryan, <laughs> Ryan Reynolds, thank you so much for coming on to <laughs> the podcast. Mark, thank you so much for coming on. This was awesome. I am so excited to put it out, and just everyone's going to love it. I know it.
2: Yeah, I'm super excited. If anyone wants to reach out to me, feel free to reach out on all of the different avenues that I gave. And thanks so much for you know, inviting me to be part of this conversation. I love it.
0: My pleasure. So everyone go head on over. This is episode 145 with Mark Groves and you can get all these links, get all the goodies that we talked about. And while you're there, if you haven't downloaded your free gift, you go ahead and do that. Um, how to um, powerfully live your one life and let me know how you like it. Thanks everyone for listening to the podcast and I'll see you soon.